This is the Two Spies Podcast, a part of the Numa Life family. Get ready to dig deeper in the Bible, have your worldviews challenged, and gain some different perspectives. Now, the conversation begins with your two spies, David and Mark. Oh, wait a minute. Don't start recording yet. I'm not ready yet. Oh, my bad. <laughs> we're back. We're back. So uh, we were just discussing that this is going to be like a five-session one. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Uh, we won't talk to you tonight about oil today or whatever it is that you're listening to this. We're going to talk about the church. That's what we've yeah. been leading up to with uh, the trial of Jesus, death of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus yeah. is the whole thing we wanted to start with. And this kind of was spurred on by Easter coming. Yeah, we were going to have all this done before Easter, <laughs> but stuff stuff happened. Yeah, people happened. Yeah, people. I felt sick, and you know, yeah, we had other things happen. So, well, I mean, it's like I always say, I, I want to be a nice person, but then people, people. <laughs> if it weren't for people, everything would be great, you know. But so, uh, what we're arriving at though is uh, working through some concepts that bring about the church and. I, I want to make sure it's pointed out too that the church is not a new idea, <laughs> right? That's something. When before I was Christian, uh, that was something that was a bragging right, supposedly, to the the pagan community, is that the church was so young and that pagan uh, paganism was so old and ancient. Oh, I, honestly, now when I when I study history, I think like ancient, like you mean like twenty thousand or thirty thousand years ago, because <laughs> the the actual history we have. And that, and let's let's nail it down. Actually, uh, with like pre Greeks, like Agamemnon time, we're talking within four to five thousand years. It's not really ancient, right? It's just that's really old. It's just not the word I think ancient. I think it's an overused word. Well, you know, like hot dogs and stuff. <laughs> hot dogs. Hot dogs. Are overused Everyone word. likes hot dogs. <laughs> well, it was Memorial Day, so that was a thing. Hot dogs and hamburgers. So. I don't think I don't remember what I had for Memorial Day. I don't think it was hot dogs. I didn't have hot. I think I had spaghetti. Anyway, because <laughs> you're Italian. Because I'm Italian. <laughs> hey, happy, hey, hey, happy Memorial Day! A pasta hey. spaghetti. Welcome, a pasta. <laughs> Played Mario Kart. It was all good. It was an Italian day for me. <laughs> all right, so, uh, well, go ahead. I, I wrote I wrote this just real quick as uh, just to get out of my system. One thing is um, just a rant. It is. It's, it's, it's intro rant. Um, <laughs> is that a thing? When sure. you start having an intro rant, I won't tell you what I'm mad about first, and then we'll talk about the Bible. Well, this is like a general thing because um, we've had uh, several new downloads and several new listeners, and um, so I kind of wanted to say this that um, you know, as we're talking about the church, you know, I think in the year uh, 2000 was the first time I ever heard an argument about the church. That people were against the church, meaning the organ, the organization, the brick and mortar, um, that it's not biblical, and I think we'll, we'll address that at some point, I'm sure, as mm. in the conversation. But I also want to say that you know I'm a licensed minister with a certain denomination. I won't really say because it's not important. But um, whenever I go through the Bible, I'm studying. You know, um, we we all ask or should ask, um, God, reveal your truth to me. And, you know, sometimes we, we are, uh, we have a certain, you know, if you have like red tinted sunglasses, you see everything in red color. Right. And so sometimes when you're affiliated with a denomination or, um, you grew up a certain way, 
um, you kind of have those lenses on and you kind of uh, try to interpret the Bible, try to study the Bible with those lens on. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's difficult to like old English Bible. Uh, I mean, old English glasses. Well, there you go. Oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's hard for us to yeah, take jab jab. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Have we ever just anyway? No, I probably haven't. Well, we will eventually. Maybe now. I don't know. But um, it, it's it's sometimes it's difficult to take those shades off and um, look with a clear lens and say, God, you know, without mm -hmm. uh, my denominational views, whatever I was taught, um, God, I need a fresh experience. I, I need a fresh. A word from you through this. So, um, what are you actually speaking about this, and and so forth? So, um, as a church, you know, I believe there's goods and bads in denominations, which we'll probably get to um, at some point in turn this. Um, and a thing I wanted to say was, you know, David's not technically he's he's not a licensed minister. He's not um, credentialed um, <laughs> like I am. But um, you know, our friendship kind of started or was built on. Um, just talking about the Bible and bouncing things off one another mm -hmm. and him even coming to me uh, at one point <clears throat> saying, Hey, um, there's something I want to, you know, talk or say, and you're talking about Colossians three, I think. Yeah. And you said, you know, some people think I'm weird about certain things and we just talked and we ended up agreeing a lot. And, um, you know, there's some things that stretches denominational beliefs. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, I think it's important that when you, when we, when we do a Bible study or when you do, do a Bible study, try your best not to look with a lens, regardless if you're a part of a denomination or if you were taught a certain way, or if you're affiliated with a denomination, et cetera, because we all get things wrong at times. And so it's important to constantly say, God, reveal your truth to us. So um, some of the things we'll talk about in the church, I think, um, can challenge um, various yeah. beliefs about the church and what it is when we talk about Israel and the church and, and different viewpoints. It, is the church replacing Israel? Is it both and? Is it either or? Um, denominational beliefs, you know, should it, you know, et cetera. So I just kind of wanted to get that out of the way. I didn't know we were going in that direction, that church replaced Israel, but... That probably layers uh, over the gap theory, doesn't it? Like <laughs> <laughs> the gap theory. First there was Israel, then there was a gap, then there was a church. <laughs> Israel failed, so God had to refix everything. Refix uh, the so, all creation. Then the church failed, and then <laughs> then something else. We don't know yet. There's a gap theory between Revelation and Revelation two. Yeah, or the or second revelation, the second letter. Yeah, well, right between yeah. chapter sixteen and chapter seventeen, <laughs> there's there's something there. There's probably a period. Yeah. So. Anyway. Anyway. To to the church. To the church. All right. Is that a, like a cheers <laughs> to the church? If you have a drink, you know, just to the church. <laughs> take a little take a. All right. Uh, All right. That's so. water. Okay. All right. So let's get right out of the church fountain. <laughs> hey, that's true. Right. So anyway, you starting with Israel? Yeah. So basically, I just kind of starting with Israel because the church's foundation kind of, or the church's uh, not invention, but the beginning of the church kind of stems from Israel. So, um, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God um, promises them to um, be a nation um, as numerous as the stars. 
And, you know, when people are, I'm pro-Israel, but when people are pro-Israel and, and almost um, against the church or um, it's Israel that's the chosen people, not the church. And um, I think we'll get into a little bit more. Or Yeah, I think we'll see from what I plan to talk about. We'll see from Old Testament from, well, not just Old Testament from Torah itself, that the church was always a plan. Okay. Not just Jewish bloodline, but the church was always God's plan. Yeah, and I think when people, I think people miss the purpose of the nation of Israel. They think, you know, it's Israel, it's, it's uh, stamped in stone, that's God's, uh, you know, that's, quote, the church, not the New Testament it's church. It's the chosen or, race of all mankind. Right. Yeah. So That can't be added to or taken away. Right. Yeah. And so I think people forget the whole purpose of Israel was God to select a group of people um, that he can call his people, that he would give them these rules and regulations, and they can show other nations and other people that there's one God, there's one true God, and this is what pleases him. So obviously, you know, Israel kept leaving God right. and abandoning God and going for other gods, and then they say, God, we, we want someone to roll over us, and God gives them judges, and Israel's like, we want a king like the other nations. They have kings. Why can't we have a king? And God's like, well, I was going to be your king. No, we want a king. We want a person here, and and then God raises up a physical king, and you know, a really you know, tall one, a really tall. He raised up a tall one. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> so of course, there's good kings and there's bad kings, and um, there's fewer uh, good kings, and then of course you have the split of Israel and Judah, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and so there's a constant continuation of them abandoning God. And as they come back, it seems like they would, when they did depart from God, they went further back. Um, Say that again. How you mean that? So like, you know, they would do what was pleasing and, or they would do what was even the side of the Lord. And then when they had a godly king come in and restore everything, when the next king rose up and was, brought evil. It's like they got again. worse. Yeah, it's yeah. like they kind of pushed the boundaries even more, and it was more difficult for them to yeah. to come back. So, um, so this leads all the way up to you know really and God continuing to send prophets. Hey, um, God's gonna restore. There's restoration coming, and then of course you know the new covenant comes, and even the Pharisees, the teachers, and the educators, um, though they are are um, though they studied the Bible and knew the law, um, they completely missed what, what what the purpose was, what it was written about. So, um, so anything you kind of add before I get into Matthew? Or uh, I want to go with a little bit of that because that's one thing Mark and I were discussing. So we may jump around in concept, but that our notes are not covering the same subject matter in the same order. So, <laughs> but. Uh, one section of my notes right here is on relationship. Uh, I think I mentioned this a second ago. I basically have taken, I think I mentioned to you, I haven't mentioned it as we've been recording, but so you, the listener, know, I've taken a paper that I wrote on ecclesiology, the study of the church, maybe a year ago, went back through it <clears throat> and have kind of revamped it in a way, added some things, et cetera, as I've studied more. But uh, one of my first sections there was on relationship. And it kind of goes along with what we have started on before all this. When we started uh, our first, what I, you know, my first couple of documents on this are called Death, 
to church, that being Jesus' church or Jesus' death up to the church. Uh, so I got part one, part two, and part three. What we studied in part one was basically that everybody sees that there is an issue. And we did acknowledge that overall the atheists may say, no, I don't have an issue because I'm not going to face God. But for yeah. the most part, the average person believes that there is a God they're going to have to look at and say, okay, what's going to, what's going to happen now? Yeah. The average person <clears throat> outside of an atheist does believe there is some kind of judgment. And they, we do, whether people want to subscribe to objective truth or subjective truth, that being a truth outside themselves or a truth made by themselves, the average person, even with the truth that I have made for myself, the subjective truther still says there's a right and a wrong. <laughs> right. So we don't have to debate that there is a right and wrong then. The average, everybody thinks that. Even the atheist thinks there's a right and a wrong. Sure. Yeah. But uh, overall, we just kind of spent the time in that first one establishing that there's a, a wrong that everyone realizes they want to take care of and do something about. Uh, so this little section on relationship, this is only you know a paragraph uh, on this, this particular topic. But next question is, this comes this is from my paper, but it comes real good at what we started with. Our next question is, what was the original state of man with God? Because it's not there now, right? Yeah. So the answer to this question works us towards the outcome that we've been working towards, that being the church. Man was originally working and hanging out in the Garden of Eden, right? Mm-hmm. God would come visit him daily. So what was there? There was close personal relationship. Yeah. They were hanging out all the time. Um, and I kind of, you know, this is a paper I submitted to a teacher to grade, but I had written in here, I suppose he would come and sit. They would have conversations, answer questions, toss a frisbee, tell jokes or whatever. We don't know the details and can't know the details, but sure. I don't imagine God was a big bore for Adam to see. No. So God comes and shows up. There's close personal relationship. Um, there was union. Mankind had union with the Creator. And that was the original plan. So right. let that sink in, right? That's what we're, we're actually supposed to be doing right now is working as in whatever you want to do in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And then hang out with God once a day when he comes to visit. The rest of the time, we're hanging out with each other. I mean, and we're, if we're not hanging out with each other, we're still hanging out with our wives. Right. And we're naked. <laughs> and it was great, right? <laughs> but here's the, you know, the first thing is we had a relationship with him. And then he made Eve for Adam. Right. So we had a relationship with our wife. The family unit is God's plan. That was the original plan. Togetherness is his plan. That's the whole deal. So uh, he never desires man to be alone. He desires uh, believers to come to church. <laughs> he just he doesn't want us to be away from him. Right. He wants us to be in relationship with a a partner in life. And if you're a man, <laughs> I will say this. Not I shouldn't use the word partner because that's the way that's used other ways today. <laughs> yeah. So my belief system, I'm going to say a man should have a partner, which is a woman, a wife. Right. Uh, a man should, we just add this too. A man should have one wife because <laughs> that's, oh, that's also twisted up pretty bad. Yeah. You should buy a ring, put that one ring on that one woman's hand. Yeah. So if I'm also speaking to a woman, uh, God's plan is for you to have one man. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I uh, put a ring on his hand and you both claim each other. But after that, uh, God wants families. Yeah. Either you have kids or you have relationships with your family that 
I mean, we can we can do a lot of stuff right there, I guess. Yeah, I'm well, just you know, I think about you know, God within Himself is a relationship, right? You know, it's it's the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and of course, we you know, we're going to get into the Trinity, but within Himself, there is. There is unity and diversity. And yeah, well, you've got to explain the Trinity so we can talk about the church. Okay, there's a Father, there's a Son, there's a Holy Spirit, and they're one. The end. I'm just getting that. Uh, if you like, my wife and I, we don't have kids. So if you don't have kids, God still desires family. That being, I have a mother and father. She has a mother and father. He wants us to be in touch with our family. Yeah. Uh, I have a brother, his wife, three kids, so nieces and nephews. She has three sisters, husbands each. Nieces and nephews each. We have 10 all together. God wants family. He wants us to be with one another. He doesn't desire anybody to be alone. Sure. And I guess that trickles on down to what we're talking about here is the church. Yeah, I was going to say that kind of gets to the point of, you know, right. the the church and things about, hey, if, if you see a brother or sister need, not biological, but a person within the assembly in the church, then you take care of them because we're a family. Well, the one thing I was thinking at, looking at too is, uh, and that's what I just ended my sentence with there with, he desires believers to come to church. I, and I agree with what you're saying, but I'm working towards, I guess, I know too many believers now who just think that they can not come to church. Yeah. And let's say this too, uh, because I put this in my paper to give to my professor. Most of my biggest problems with the church is the people of the church. Sure. Because people are people. Right. The more I've learned about the church, though, the average person who has an issue against the church has an issue against the people in the church, not the actual right. plan and, and what it actually is supposed to be. Well, let's 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 go into this this discussion since I mean since our notes are kind of scattered, but I think it flows into good. Um, so, like I said at the beginning, you know, in the year two thousand, um, I was a part of a Christian discipleship program. Um, you you know you learn you learn scripture you you study the Bible we you know we traveled and did school assemblies um, and you know we prayed together every morning so you know it's just like a very small group you, you yeah. can't date in your first year you're you're really pushed you know focus on God for one year um, and the second year you can date and you know so 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 because so you went there to meet somebody right well I did. Uh, <laughs> I did meet somebody, but we're not together. <laughs> but uh, but so it was in that year, and one of the guys was talking about. Um, he came from Utah, and he was supposedly this very intelligent, Bible knowledge, uh, religion knew all the religions, and people were just kind of people that knew him were kind of like, oh, he's coming here. That's awesome. He's so smart and and so intelligent. And this was kind of I was you know, I'd only been a Christian for about three years. And or two years, and so I was kind of interested in learning about the Bible, learning about religions. And and, and when he came, he was he was a jerk to be honest. And um, but you know when you talk to him outside the realm of uh, him teaching, when it's just kind of you at a lunch table, you at a dinner table, just laughing, having a good time. When the subject of church came up, he was very anti uh, brick and mortar building, um, you know, the system, the organization of church. Because we always want to sit outside in the rain when it's cold and nasty in the winter to have church. <laughs> yeah. So that's more spiritual. <laughs> well, he, he, so he was a jerk and uh, we didn't, we didn't, we butted heads a lot. 
And so I, I opted not to go back a second year and I had some friends that went back and he kind of messed them up. Um, and you know, then years later we got into an argument, um, on Facebook of all places. And, um, That's I what said, you're supposed to do on Facebook. Well, right? So I <laughs> said, so I've made a post on Facebook. I mean, it happens. And I said something about the church. I said something about tithing. And he was the first person to get smart on me, intelligent, and and say, you know, organize his thoughts into this intellectual whatever. And then other guys that I grew up in youth group um, at this church where I work um, commented and posted saying, "Oh yeah, the organization church is is stupid. We don't need that. You know, you guys got it wrong." And and so and, and as I you know. Even now, I hear people talk about um, the hate denominations. They hate, you know, the brick and mortar building organization church. Um, we should just be able to meet in homes and sing some songs. And and the question be, is, anybody stopping those people from meeting in homes? Is what? Is anybody stopping them from doing it? No. Are they doing it then? Yeah, some of them are. Well, they're free to go do that. Well, my is my, that church? I mean, excuse me, is that home made with brick and mortar? <laughs> yeah. That's a good okay. point. It's just another building. Well, well, they say because they're not they're not attached to a certain service order. They're not attached to certain bylaws or certain things. It's just, hey, David, you want to come around my house and let's eat ribs? Sure. You yeah. come over and, hey, let's sing some songs or maybe read some Bible. And then we go home. And yeah. and and I, I see some good in that. But then my my problem was... Um, what do you do with Paul's letters? Because Paul says, well, just getting together, there has to be some kind of, there has to be a leader, there has to be accountability, and in order to be a leader, here's what kind of person you have to be. Yeah. And so Paul kind of begins this organizational um, group because if there's no, you know, if there's no accountability, if there's no, um, order in place, then you, it's like the Corinthian church. It's just chaos. People are speaking in tongues, every service out loud and prophesying over one another. On, on and, top of one another and it's time. just non, it's just crazy. There's no order. Yeah. And Paul says, God is a God of order. Go back in Genesis. You know, God sets things in motion. Yeah. God sets things in order. You read Psalms, you know, he says, you know, this is where I told the sea to end and this is where it ends. Yeah. Or otherwise we'd be drowning. So there, there's order, there's there's boundaries set in place for a reason. And I think some people, you know, get into this point of a jail mentality where we tell you when to pee, we tell you when to eat, but that's their thinking, I think, of when yeah, church... myself, there are churches like that. Right. I, myself, am not going to go one of those. <clears throat> sure. Uh, so, I mean, there's a, the middle ground to reach on a lot of issues, right? Yeah, but I mean, my my main point is don't don't be against. I I say church. I meaning because we're talking about two two different things. I mean, the church is the people, and the church is also the place where the people are meeting. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a a twofold thing. Um, so I think when we talk when I'm talking about church now about the building or or the organization or denomination or uh, whatever that people that hate the organized church um, speak of, I think, 
I think there's an issue when you um speak against it, when you are pushing pushing yourself away and withdrawing from yeah. that group. And I'm not saying you have to go to an example, a Lutheran church or a Presbyterian church or a Baptist church or a Pentecostal church or whatever. If it, if it if you feel uncomfortable or you don't like, you know, the Lutheran church where where they organize everything to a T and you read this um prayers yeah. and, and all of that. So so I think we all have personalities and, and certain things, but to completely withdraw and to completely completely say that's wrong, I think you you have some issues when you read some of Paul's letters. So, I mean, otherwise, why would Paul talk about order? Why would Paul send letters to right. churches? You know, but there's also the question of what is your church doing? And yeah. the purpose of the church is not so we can all get together only and then go home. Yeah. It's something we talk about all the time. So if you, if you come to church, the building to do church, the event yeah, as the body of, the church within these walls and then you walk out and go to go to work on Monday morning and you're just you're just Nothing. Bill and Joe and Bob. Right. You're not actually the church anymore. Well you really haven't done church anyway on Sunday morning. That's true. So going outside the walls and my point in saying all that is to go with outside of your organization to do things with your real life. Right. Showing you have God in you who's directing you to do something with your money, mm-hmm. with your time to go volunteer for something and do it for free to help somebody. When you see somebody needs something, if you're not doing those things anyway, outside the building, you can object to the church. You can say you're a Christian and, and meet in a house somewhere, but if you're not doing any of that right there. You're not the church anyway. Yeah. So my point in saying that also though, is that I have been in more church organizations that are bigger churches that have some programs in place for me to plug in, to get to serve. Sure. I can do it in my personal everyday life, but many people aren't doing that. Right. I don't use. I'm not usually hanging out with somebody at work or something who who says he's a Christian, who sees a person over here across the way who is actually a person in need. I almost never have somebody say to me, "I think that guy's hungry. I'm going to go give him some food." I've yeah. almost never heard. I'm sorry, but I've never heard a Christian say that hardly. Yeah. So. <clears throat> That should be our normal everyday reaction. Yeah, and I think we'll get more into the purpose of the church. Yeah. I mean, as we kind of, you know, the time. I mean, our our notes and our timelines are going to be off. But as we kind of dig deeper and get to um, the beginning of the church and and you know the post resurrection and you get in the book of Acts and we kind of look at, you know, again we're not going to look at every single church in the in the New Testament like the. The Church of Galatia, the Church of Ephesus, or yeah. Church of Philippi, but we will kind of, I think, just re- talk about you know overall what are these saying, what is the purpose of the church, and all that. So, <clears throat> what directions these things go? Yeah. Well, bef- I guess if you're, I, I don't want to say done, but if you're kind of done with Israel, I want to hit something that's are some ideas that are Old Testament. Okay, sure. Uh, and this is what I said a while ago with. Uh, I have a section called Moses's Feast. So, like I said too, although outsiders like to sometimes accuse Christianity of being a young religion, it was long in the works of the Lord. He right. started the idea long before uh, Abraham was called out. 
<clears throat> he already had a plan. And I guess I, I'm backing up also to say original plan, plan A, is actually plan B. And I think we've gone across this before also where God wants to renew you in the, the image of your creator. Yeah. Uh, either way, plan A is plan B. How, he wants to go you, ahead. You, you might get into this, but, you know, how would you explain... Because we're both pro-Israel when we believe Israel has a part to play in the end of times. And mm-hmm. Israel is still the apple of God's eye, the peop- the Jewish people and and all that. But we also believe the church, the church, I, don't, I think we would both say the church has not replaced Israel as no. in we just push Israel outside. I don't think that's biblical. They're out in the cold and they're not done. No. Right. So how, how would you explain you go from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? and Jacob, Israel, and then the nation of Israel and God's lineage of the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. And this is God's instrument and so forth. How would you explain for what is the question then? And, and I'm asking that question because I think I want to say my answer, that being God is picking out Abraham mm-hmm. and choosing a people for himself mm-hmm. to spread that there is a one God truth right. among the nations but also to retain a single bloodline up to the point of the Christ. Once the Christ is here, uh, bloodline-wise, it doesn't seem that Israel is specifically retained to be isolated. But they were to be isolated by God's hand, bloodline-wise, to provide a pathway for Messiah to come as a Jew. Yeah. So... I don't know if you would agree or disagree with me on this. It could be our first disagreement, I guess. But obviously we... No, believe- that's not right. <laughs> yeah. So we- <laughs> Sorry, crap. All right, I'm done. Obviously we um, would. <laughs> but, you know, we know God sees beginning and end. He, does, he doesn't see time. He works in time and or works through time. And so um, I'm trying to say this carefully, but um, so... My thinking is, is that when when the people of Israel are asking for a king, and God says, "I was going to be your king," and they're like, "No, we want a we want a person here to rule over us." God says, "Fine, oh, that's if that's what you really want. This is what I'll give you." So He gives it to them, and then of course He they keep the the bloodline going. Up to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think, and my thinking is, you want a king, I'll give you a king, but I'm still going to give you myself as a king yeah. through your lineage right. as a person because I, because you are still my people. I still love you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, you're going to, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your king. And if you don't want it this way, here's how it'll happen. Yeah. I don't know if so you agree or disagree. That's but. a really, really neat way to look at it. You you want I want to be your king. You want a man, so I'll come become a man, right? And still be your king. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but. yeah. That's that's really a neat way to look at it. But I don't know. I don't disagree with that at all. As a as a well, isn't there always <laughs> one plan? There's God's plan. Well, that's that was another thing that, of course, this is predestination type thinking. But you know, we we you know. When pe- when I hear people talk about the church, you know there is no Plan B. The church has always been Plan A. Um, you know, I have a hard time 
not believing that, but um, coming to grips with the fact that when God created this, uh, this might be too, we might just go. My, my thinking is, is God created us um, knowing what's going to happen. So, ah, this might be too predestination conversation. Well, so God creates everything, uh, knowing um, the decisions and knowing what's what's going to happen. So, uh, would God would God's plan A still be His work through? through the sinful people up to Jesus, up to his son dying, to the resurrection, to his return, um, through his name, um, the church or the bride. Um, I guess I'm not, I'm not really communicating it well as I'm talking about Will it. Will the bride really be the original plan? Yeah. And yeah. I, what I'm referring to when I say plan A is Adam and Eve and that being relationship in union with the creator. Gotcha. And that's what I'm calling. And there's a, there's a sinless state that they were in. That's why they could hang out with God all the time. I'm right. calling that plan a, that was God's original situation. He made. That's a good point. Yeah. When we sinned, he had a, a plan in place to restore us back to plan a, back to plan a. So plan B is what I'm calling. I guess that would be the cross in the church, but plan B is to restore us to plan a. I'm not saying that the church was always the original plan. Not that God didn't know there was going to be there wasn't going to be sin, but right. his original situation that he set up was just hanging out with mankind. That's it was real point. simple, super simple. And when we messed it up, it's got to be more and more complicated. Even the church is a complicated version of the garden. Yeah, but the church is you know it's checkers compared to the the Torah Torah chessboard. Right. That's so, but. Throwing ball in the garden with God is is even better than playing checkers with <laughs> right, God. Right. So I, that's, that's what I'm getting at when I use the words plan A and plan B. Gotcha. That makes sense. <clears throat> but, uh, okay, so Moses' feast, and we're getting into Torah now. This is, of course, uh, after the garden, after the fall, and God has picked out Abraham We've gone through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those stories, and most of those we've covered so far since we were doing this in Genesis. Right. And uh, then the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. God picks a man out there and says, "You're going to set. You're going to bring the people out. I'm going to set them free, and you're going to be the one to lead them out." This guy who comes out, he gives him the law. So you're my chosen people. You descended from Abraham. I'm giving you this law. So in that law, there are uh, seven feasts. And those feasts are basically the plans laid out. If you if you took those feasts in a year mm-hmm. and you laid them out over the history of man, starting with the Jewish nation, you would see, and that's what I want to do, is you'll see how the church is, was always included in the law. Okay. So uh, going back to this hit, kind of hits three different places, and we'll – We'll touch on them a little bit, but Leviticus uh, 23 and Deuteronomy 16. Are you looking around for a paper Bible? I left my Bible at home. <laughs> I took it home last night. and what a, Only a heathen pastor leaves his Bible at home. <laughs> I mean, I got other Bibles. I, I mean. They don't really count, though. I could pull this big 
hard copy of the ESV. That's a mama jama. Can I say ESV on here? Is that right? That's what I'm reading from. Okay, cool. That's what, That's what we use. I'm just joking. <laughs> you said Leviticus 16? Uh, Deuteronomy 16, oh, Deuteronomy. Leviticus 23, and a little bit of Exodus uh, 12. Okay. So, I mean, well, they're, all of them have something to say about the feast is why I'm using those different ones. Uh, let's see. Let's go ahead and hit a little bit of Exodus 12 because this is probably one of the shorter sections to get. Okay. 1243. And I'll just finish that chapter out to 50. This is about the institution of the Passover. This comes after, of course, um, all the ten plagues. So the locusts and the darkness and, uh, and the final threat is, or the final plague is threatened uh, when Moses is going to leave. That is the killing of the firstborn. So he gives them all these instructions at the beginning of uh, chapter 12. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. So he kind of resets their new year based off of this event. It shall be the first month of the year for you. And he goes through these things, gives him some directions about what to do with a lamb. This lamb's going to be a sacrifice. Uh, to grab a couple of important details, let's see, verse, this is chapter 12, verse 8. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. And unleavened bread is, is an issue we want to retain for Passover. So then we skip towards the end of chapter 12. This, this, is, this may be headed in your Bible the same as it's headed in mine, but it's called the institution of Passover. So, the Lord uh, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. So what does that mean? Jews only. But every slave that is bought for money shall eat of, or may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. So for Jews only, how do you be a Jew? You be circumcised. If you've been bought as a slave by a Jewish person, if Including. you've been circumcised, you're a Jew now. You can eat the Passover. Right. That's the basic requirements there. Uh, verse 46, that shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. You shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. That means keep this statute of the Passover. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. So you can go join Israel if you want to during this time of the law. If you want to eat this particular meal out of all their feasts and what they do on their calendar every year, you've got to be circumcised. That's it. Uh, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All of the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. So, and then you have the uh, consecration of the firstborn, feast of unleavened bread. So they go through some different things there. It's You should notice that they have this firstborn and unleavened bread as some of the next things they talk about there. But skipping over now to Leviticus 23, and we basically just grabbed the details out of Exodus 12 that if you want to eat Passover, you got to be circumcised. That makes you Jewish mm -hmm. or a member of the Jewish nation and no leaven okay. is involved in that meal. So uh, Leviticus 23 
Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that shall uh, you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feast. So the first one you go through is uh, Sabbath. Just one verse, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is the Sabbath to the Lord and all your dwelling places. <clears throat> Second one he talks about is Passover. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the, the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. So, 14th day, first month. On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no ordinary work. But you shall uh, present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day, as a holy convocation, you shall do no ordinary work. So tied together here is Passover and unleavened bread. Passover is the first day, 14th. On the 15th, you basically have a second feast name. You're still continuing the same event, really, but you're doing it for a week. What is the, some of the main stuff? Well, to eat Passover, you got to be a Jew. To be a Jew, you got to be circumcised. To eat Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you, of course, can't have any leaven involved because right. it's unleavened bread. Right. Otherwise, it'd be the Feast of Leavened Bread. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, okay, so going on from there, this is uh, Leviticus 23, verse 9. And like I said earlier, if you take these meals, these feasts, and you layer them over, take a year cycle of the meals, stretch them out from a circle into a straight line, and layer that over history. And just watch what goes from Israel to the church with this. So verse 9, uh, And the Lord said, or Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day that you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, Honestly, I don't have to tell you all this right here, but basically he's giving individual details about what to offer, what kind of, uh, how much wine, how much uh, parched grain, etc., fresh grain. Still, this is a Jewish celebration only. Nobody else has been involved yet with this. Mm-hmm. But it's called the Feast of First Fruits, which kind of neatly brings us back to this chosen people are the first ones that God has chosen out of all mankind. Jews are the first fruit. Right. You got to be Jewish to eat the Passover. You can't have any leaven to eat the the feast of unleavened bread. You of course can't have any leaven. And the first fruits are Jewish people. Then we come down to the feast of weeks. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. So this, of course, uh, this is this in Jew in in Jewish in Hebrew. This is called Shavuot. Sheva or Sheba would be seven. Shavuot is plural seven. So it's implied seven times seven. So it's forty-nine. So seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. So you just now come out of first fruits. You count the day that you offered the wave offering as being a day to mark. And then after that, you use the next Sabbath 
And then you count 49 days after that, which is 49 plus the one Sabbath is 50. So now we're in what would be a 50, 50 day cycle after Passover, which is when Pentecost Pentecost happens. Penta means 50 right. or five. And that's exactly what I'm working towards. I mean, so hmm. let's, uh, let's jump kind of long here through Leviticus 23. Now from verse 15 to verse uh, 22 is all about the feast of weeks or Shavuot. What is the feast of weeks? It is the beginning of the church. It's Pentecost, but also it is a time of ingathering. So you bring the first fruits, right? Right. First fruits is the meal or the feast right before uh, the feast of weeks. That's the first ones. So what's going to happen next? You go back out in the field. You keep picking stuff, whatever it is, whatever, if it's grains or fruits or whatever, nuts, you keep picking those things for a time. When does that end? The next feast is the Feast of Trumpets. If Shavuot is Pentecost, Shavuot plus Sabbath is a Pentecost, and that's the birth of the church. And the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, is a ingathering time. What is God doing at, during the church age? It is an ingathering time. There is the first fruits, that's the Jewish people, but then there's the ingathering time which starts at Pentecost where he's gathering people from all nations. From everybody. Right. How does that end, though? Feast of Trumpets. What ends the church age? A trumpet. <laughs> so uh, then there's the Day of Atonement, which is right. the, the next feast. After the trumpet's blown, we all, I shouldn't say all, The we, we will discuss or have discussed, I guess, two different throne judgments. But the the throne of uh, judgment for Christians is a basically basically a day of atonement. We have been atoned for. We go see our Savior. Yeah. Um, after that is feast of booths, where they live in memorials of what used to be, reminding them of the time that the Lord provided for them. The feast of booths is curiously enough when you look at like uh, ultra beyond end times, like into Zechariah of very, very end-time descriptions, all nations are still keeping the Feast of Booths. Hmm. So taking some of what we just now looked at, let's flip over to Deuteronomy 16. Because I guess you could say, let me see if there is a detail I'm missing from Leviticus 23 before we jump. Uh, yeah. This is one thing I wanted to bring in. Looking at both the places, I'm thinking, like, which where's that detail at? So before we go on, what did you have to do to eat Passover? Be a Jew. Be a Jew. Be circumcised and unleavened bread. And unleavened bread. So this is just kind of neat that during the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot, which is the ingathering time, which is the church age. Uh, Let's see, verse 17, you shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven. They're being told to bring leaven into this feast offering. Hmm. This is not just, you eat it, you're going to be you know, hanging out at your campsite over there with your kids <laughs> and your family. Have some leaven. This is bring an offering and put leaven in it, and God is accepting it. Hmm. So just that just kind of stuck out to me some time ago. I thought, that's kind of odd. 
as I'm reading further, I see, oh, here's a, here's three main feasts over in Deuteronomy 16. So Moses doesn't go back through all the individual uh, feasts here. He hits the three main big ones. So the first one, uh, one through eight, this is Deuteronomy 16, verses one through eight, is Passover again. Tells them what month to keep it in. If you read through this, you're not going to see anything about people who are strangers or sojourners, etc. The same rules still apply. You got to be a Jew to eat it, and to be a Jew, you got to be circumcised, and then you cannot have any leaven. And no outsiders are offered. Hey, y'all! Want, hey, we got extra. Y'all want to come over here and eat? That's not going on. Yeah. Next one, starting at verse nine, you shall count seven weeks. Begin. To count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. So this is Feast of Weeks. Then you shall keep the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God with a tribute of a freewill offering from your hand. And then blah, blah, blah. Keep on reading the details. You shall rejoice before your, the Lord your God. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you. So the sojourner is, is the one we want to look at for a second here. The sojourner is now uh, included in a main Jewish feast. There's a Passover, purely mm-hmm. Jewish. Uh, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, all purely Jewish. Feast of Weeks, that's the first one that says bring in leaven. And it's the first one here in Deuteronomy, in back, back in Leviticus 23. It's the first one in Deuteronomy 16, where you can have sojourners, and says nothing about them having to be circumcised. Huh. These are foreigners that are allowed to come in. Let's see. I think I have the word here. Yeah, it's gar. So in both these places, uh, Deuteronomy 16, verse 11, is the word gar, which is translated as sojourner, but it's it's an outsider. It's not a Jewish person. And then in verse 14, Feast of Booths, which is the one I said that basically when you read ultra end times beyond the judgment, etc., we're in eternity. Verse 14 says, You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns. So again, Feast of Booths includes uh, Gar. Hmm. strangers or sojourners, non-Jews. Just neat that uh, God lays out these appointed feasts, tells Moses all about them. There is a a marked difference between the first three and the next one right after that. And then it's open open season. The Feast of Weeks is what we're in right now. We're in the Feast of Weeks, that being the end gathering, the Shavuot. Hmm. The church age, and that ends with the fe- the Feast of Trumpets, and the very next thing is the Feast of Booths, which all those three are here, and the, or excuse me, the main three are here. The second two of that second group I'm naming there, you can have leaven, you can have strangers that are not hmm. circumcised. It's saying get together with all mankind. Hmm. Bring mankind in and celebrate my feast. Who's speaking? Who is who's my Yahweh? Right. So Yahweh was not he's not shutting out everybody who's not Jewish. <laughs> That's interesting. He's just laying out a he laid out a law, he gave them that, he's making them go by that, and then telling them reach out to the rest of the world. 
Hmm. I don't see, I guess, any much difference between their original job and our job as the church. Right. Not a not. I'm not going, not saying a replacement <clears throat> idea. I'm just saying there's no difference in what their objective is. Right. I there's agree a with difference that. in revelation, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the hundred forty four thousand. You mean they're not you know Jews? <laughs> so I guess we could say that too. As far as what, because you've heard preachers say before, almost everybody has. There's two kinds of people on the world. It's saved people and unsaved people. Biblically looking at it, there's there's several kinds, and that being Jews, <laughs> Gentiles, and the church. Yeah. And if you want to divide the church up more, you can divide it. Well, we've done that. Mankind divided the church up more. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Uh, many times over again. Yeah. I'm sure there will be more in the future. <laughs> Either way, uh, just some neat stuff there that I saw when I was looking through the feast one time because – Somebody asked me if I would study the feast, I believe, and try to explain it to them. And that's why I started seeing hmm. that's awesome stuff. So let's see. A uh, couple of more things out of Old Testament, or you got something in mind? No, go ahead. Okay, writing on our hearts. Because that first little section I called Moses' Feast, I'm calling this writing on our hearts. We move on to see the Lord God explaining through the prophets of Jeremiah and Ezekiel what he plans to do with man. Again, we're not in Torah. We're uh, not as old. We're younger. <laughs> if you want to call it that, going backwards in time. Uh, in Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one, and I, I'll say this too. I have at home a uh, a Hebrew translation New Testament. The English and it's, it's page to page. One page is English. One page is is uh, Hebrew. For some reason, they chose the King James. So, trying to read the King James and then trying to figure out how it translates over here into the Hebrew right. in a New Testament situation when either way, it's really odd. But that one of their things they, they put with their, uh, what do you call it, a pamphlet or a tract mm. or a brochure, the Jewish, I guess it's the Jewish Publication Society. Either way, they have this symbol on the front, which is uh, Star David, and the cross piece that goes across the top of it actually has a cross drawn across it. And down in the center at the bottom of the cross, in the center of the star, is a little lamb. So hmm. they combined the cross and the star of David together into one symbol and put the lamb within the, the middle of that. Huh. But they used Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one as one of their main verses. Uh, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers that they broke. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. How is God going to put his law within somebody? How is he going to write on their hearts? This is something I think Paul kind of makes some issue with, or some explanation to, that he wrote it once on stone. He's writing it now on hearts, on flesh. Yeah. So jumping on to uh, God coming, this is Ezekiel 16. Because uh, the detail I see in this that struck me some time ago is we see that he himself is actually coming to pay for sin. It's it's odd that he speaks in third person so often of himself <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. he, that he's sending somebody 
to come as Messiah, and Messiah is going to do something to take care of sin. In some places, he himself is coming to take care of sin. But uh, Ezekiel sixteen sixty, I will, and it kind of echoes off of the Jeremiah thirty one thirty one. I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. I will establish my covenant with you. So who's doing the establishing? Who's making the covenant? God's making it Himself. I'm establishing my covenant. You shall know that I am the Lord. That's all caps. That's Yahweh. That you remember, or excuse me, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame. When I atone for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. Hmm. If you if, I mean, look at all that, he said, I'm going to fix it so you won't open your mouth again about your shame. We're going to get to go to heaven and not ha- actually have any guilt Besides him cleansing us from our sin, he's going to cleanse us from the memory or either from the guilt of the, what we ever did. That's crazy. So, I don't know. When you consider what heaven is supposedly supposed to be, how can we – because you think about it now, at the state you're in right now, you've done things in the past you regret. You're not doing that anymore. It's a forgiven sin, and you realize it's forgiven, but you still carry around some piece of it. And there's still that occasional thought, man, I wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> Even if I'm forgiven, I wish I didn't have that on my record for my own brain and not have to think about right. in my own heart. He's yeah. going to actually fix it so uh, you never open your mouth again because of your shame. When I atone for all that you do. So Yahweh God speaking, he is going to come take care of sin. Mixing this Ezekiel 16 with Jeremiah 31, though, he's making a new, a new covenant. He's coming to take care of sin, and the covenant's going to be based off of his sacrifice. He's going to fix it so we're completely clean. And then he's going to write this law that that he gave Moses that the Jews couldn't keep because it was so complicated and hard. It was written in stone. <laughs> right. that's, maybe that's why it's hard. <laughs> but he's going to write it on their flesh. So a lot of neat stuff right there, but... Uh, what does this got to do with the church? Until the cross, the law of God was written on stone and paper. It was external to men. They had to read it with their eyes. They had to interpret it with their minds. They had to act it out with their hands and feet. Overall, effort was required to get right. You know, air quotes, get right with God. <laughs> right. It took effort out of our own hands, feet, body, etc., mind, and heart. Um, maybe there was a handful out there who actually experienced it in their heart. I mean, you Imagine, have you ever thought maybe there's some Jews that brought a sacrifice, they did the the law, they can walk away knowing that presently, before I do the next sin, presently I am clean. Yeah. Some of them had to have felt something in their heart with God. I think so. Surely. I don't think that was a standard everyday thing, though. But... uh, I think Isaiah's vision when, you know, Isaiah 6... Right. I think that was a heart thing where, I mean, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. The new covenant, though, this is kind of what I'm working at is the new covenant is the, the beginning narrative of the New Testament, which is carved into the flesh of the Christ. So it could then be inscribed on the hearts of man. It's just on the whole thing, we're, we're working towards the church and that God always had the church in plan, <laughs> yeah. Old Testament wise. But I just want to go through some things to say. Uh, it's not just a, 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 it's not a new creation. It's 
It's not a new birth. It's not some Jews that went wrong. <laughs> right. It's Jews that actually are answering. Because you think about uh, Paul getting or having his Damascus Road blinding experience when he goes on to Damascus, the scales come off. Putting to the things together that we see in Galatians about him spending time in in Arabia. Yeah. That was almost it. <laughs> Arabia is uh, basically another word for sand or desert, and it's him spending time out in the out in the desert, out in the sand, away from people. We have implications there that he spent time with the Lord, going back over all this. Him as a, a Pharisee, he's going yeah. back over the whole Old Testament, and he comes out super strong believer. I mean, Be- what it takes what three and a half years until he actually goes to the apostles. Yeah. And- yeah. Says, hey guys, I think I think this is what happened. This is right, right? Right. They're like, yeah. So, <laughs> well, I mean, he probably went back over and studied because I think he had the Lord in person with him as a teacher, walking him through what he had been studying his whole life, saying, "This is me here. This is me here. This over here is me. This over here is me." This will be the same conversation he had on the walk to Emmaus with those disciples. And when he went to the upper room and he sat around for a while teaching them. But, I mean, they were having Sunday school class again. Yeah. 40 days after his resurrection. And what's he teaching them from? He's teaching from the Old Testament. Same thing that, that Paul was learning from. Same thing that Moses wrote. I mean, Paul heard, Ezekiel. Paul heard his voice when he didn't, when there was no relationship, you know, before. Right. You know, and and I kind of think, you know, physically he was blind. Spiritually he was blind. And then God unveiled his physical blindness. And I think that's when when he went out, God started revealing, you know, taking off the spiritual blindness, taking off the the blocks in right. his life. And like you were talking about, just revealing himself. Hey, this is this is what uh this is what was talked about. This is who what happened. So yeah, yeah I agree. Awesome stuff. Where do you want to go next? Um, I, I guess Matthew chapter sixteen. Um so I'm going to read verses 13 through 18. Um, so Jesus Jesus says, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is a interesting verse because uh, the Universal Catholic Church takes this as um, the church is going to be built on Peter, who becomes you know the first pope. Um, so we're just going. I just want to kind of take a brief minute to kind of look at this verse yeah. in context. Um, so it was after he, being Jesus, asked who they thought, um, who who he was. And, of course, Peter says Messiah, um, and Jesus says, I'll build my church. And I think this is the key. Israel missed knowing who he was, but the beginning of the church, um, it was revealed who he is. Thus, the mission was revealed to everyone that he is the Christ. Um, get some little uh, Greek words and grammar the fun stuff i guess yeah um so i'm not going to yeah, speak dude. greek i'm just going to tell you 
uh, the English word and then kind of tell you That's about Greek the to Greek. Me. There you go. So the Greek word for build is, um, and grammar is what you call a future indicative, um, which means that it is a future action or a future progressive action, which means that the church is not present and it's not the past. What Jesus is talking about in this context is that it is a future action. It's, it's, and it's not just a future action, it's a continuation action. It's a progressive. It's going to continue yeah. at a certain point like, in time. I'm going to be tilling my garden tomorrow. Yes. I'm going to be doing it for two or three hours. Right. It's an ongoing action that's going to happen in the future. Right. Yeah. Right. So when uh, Jesus uh, tells them in verse 20, tell no one he was the Christ, it was because the church is this future progression. It's not the present. He had to die so the Holy Spirit can come and thus the church can actually begin. Um, the key element for the church is the resurrection, which hasn't happened yet. So that's why he's saying there's no reason to say this yet because the fulfillment hasn't taken place. Um, the Greek word for church means assembly or church, which we kind of talked about. It comes from the root word that means to call or summon a group right. of people, which we kind of discussed earlier. And ek is exit. It's called out. We are the called out ones. Mm, there you go. There's some. There's something in my notes I was going to come across anyway, but okay, cool. Yeah, called and put together with out. Huh, that's interesting. So called out of the world in a way. Uh, this is revealing who Jesus is. It's not. It's not based on an emotion. So when he asks this question to the disciples, it's <clears throat> not in the midst of a miracle. It's not in the midst of him doing something great. It's we're away from everything. You know, there's no hype. There's no uh, emotion attached to this. Yeah. He's actually asking this question. And so that's when he's, when, when he's, when they say he's the Messiah, there's not an emotional attachment to that. You think about it too, when there is a huge crowd around him, there's a huge bunch of stuff going on with hype and emotion. Yeah. He's healing people, feeding people and this kind of stuff and fixing the blind stuff. His disciples are kind of around him ish, mixed in with a crowd that's pressing in. So, I mean, you imagine that uh, Bartholomew or Peter or so and so, whichever one, Simon, they're within fifteen to twenty feet, and they're looking inward at this circle. And the main spoke in the middle is is uh, or axle in the middle is Jesus, right? And all these people are like spokes, just attached to what the event is. But I'm I'm back here, fifteen feet away, standing beside. Uh, Bill from Nazareth, and he's like, "Who is this guy?" I, I can hear his own whispers. Yeah. So then later on, yeah, they're apart, and he's he's asking the disciples. So when y'all are in the crowds, like, who who do you people? What are they saying about me? Yeah. If <laughs> if yeah. it weren't Jesus and and what we think that he truly is now, we would say this guy's like a rock star, arrogant, <laughs> whatever. He's got to be one of the good, one of the prophet guys. I mean, he's doing good stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but. Uh, so again, you know, the Catholic Church implies that this is uh, Peter as the first pope. Um, thus, the Catholic being the assembly is the main church, which is not accurate. Um, Jesus renames Peter as Cephas, and Cephas literally means stone. Um, Peter, in turn, writes a letter in First Peter, and he talks about that anyone who believes in Jesus becomes a living stone. So it's not like Peter's the main stone is 
we're all stones. We're yeah. all a part of the cornerstone, which you'll talk yeah. to. So Peter's not saying, I'm not the main guy. We're all a part of this. We're all um, following Jesus. Uh, the Jewish people saw the rock associated with a God. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 4, Psalm 18, 2, and Psalm 18, 31 is just three examples where, you know, God is the rock of our salvation. Um, God is um, a fortress, our strong tower. He's a rock. Um, so there's just a few examples. So they so they know that God sometimes talks about himself as being a rock. And Jesus is the rock on which the church is built, which David will get into. Um, we are but stones, as I just said about Peter. And Jesus calls himself this by referring to the Old Testament. Um, the church can't be built on a fallible man, meaning Peter. Um, the church yeah. has to be built on... Really, God Himself, in a sense, right? Um, so, uh, and God says, "I have given full authority to the Son." So, um, Jesus reveals to us that people worship at different locations. Like he, you know, I think it was his dealing with the Samaritan, mm-hmm. where um, he says, "You know, you Samaritans don't the know who you worship, but us Jews know who we worship." Yeah. And so he says, "You know, there's going to come a day when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth." So, uh, you know, then it's, yeah. it's really a location system. Um, there was, you know, order. But under the church, in his name, in truth, um, him being the high priest, everyone can worship God in spirit and in truth. So, uh, so and that's another thing about the church is, is, you know, Israel is kind of like a locational-based system. And the church, mm-hmm. because of the Holy Spirit, is more of a organic spreading out wherever you are. You can worship God um, in spirit and truth because your foundation's on Christ right. and not on a system or well, it's a, a people. It's a universal system. Yeah. Like you yeah. say that, that Israel is a local system. The church is a, a universal system designed right. for all planet Earth. Yeah. Locality of Earth, but still universal to all of Earth. Right. So that was kind of, I guess, roughly a breakdown for me for... Oh yeah, one more thing. I didn't see this. Um, so the gate gates of Hades. Um, we've talked about this. I think earlier in podcast. This isn't technically hell. I think we talked about it in no, the Jonah yeah, episode. We have talked about it. Um, but um, it's like a final destination for the wicked. It's kind of the grave where everyone goes to Hades. Yeah. And um, of course, Jesus comes. He goes through the gates. He conquers death. He calls out the saints and takes the saints with he, him. Uh, Closeum. Yeah. Oh, there, there you go. There you go. So he released the prisoners. Um, so so uh, verse 19, um, I kind of told David this. This is uh, a verse that people take out of context, but this is where it's at. You know, whatever you bind on earth shall be uh, bound in heaven, or whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Um, binding and loosing can be seen as, another way to say it is forbidding and permitting. Um, in the Greek, you could see it as whatever you, if you, if you look at the Greek and the grammar, um, you could see it as whatever you bind on earth shall already be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall already be loosed in heaven. In other words, what we do on earth is reflecting what God's will has done in heaven. As above, so below. Yeah. So yeah. that's all that means is what we see God already willed in heaven, we should simply do that on earth that's all that that's all that means right so you know when people pray about 
certain things. It's simp- all this is dealing with is, is that God's will be done on earth. Now, do you think he gives us any authority to... I guess we're, we're also we're questioning about order of did we bind something or did he bind it and now we're going along with it? Or did we bind something and he's going along with it? Yeah. Have we been given authority like that right there? Yeah, I, I, I think... I don't think we have that much authority in this. I, I believe we have authority in the sense that um, we can tell demons or spirits or whatever, um, shut up or... Um, yeah. I think we have that kind of authority because, you know, the name of Jesus, the weight that it carries, that authority yeah. that it carries. But I don't think, um, and I'm not sure this answers your question or what you were thinking of, but it doesn't give us the authority to claim, to name it and claim it. It's not a carte blanche. You can have what you want. Right. Yeah, this no, has always been no. an uh, odd verse to me to look at and consider. And I guess what you just said there is the only way I have used it. Yeah. Is that yeah? I can. Uh, I sense something is going on. Uh, either lust or anger is the most often spirits that get on me or around me that I suddenly recognize. Wait a minute, what's going on? I have the authority in Jesus' name to tell them to leave once I recognize them. Yeah, yeah. and I have used it that way. I have not used it to say, "I think I need a new car." Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm claiming that one over there. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, whatever you whatever you believe God has willed in heaven, you know His, you know, um, there's peace in heaven, there's love in heaven, there's joy in heaven, there's um, there's various things in heaven and and a part of God's will or God a part of God's plan, and I think we have authority in that sense that we want to see that same will i guess yeah be done here on on earth like jesus you know said um you know uh if you abide in my word my yeah. word abides in you right right you so that same want. thing and you're not going to so. do anything apart from god and right. that's why i think when people kind of get out there and let feel it about god told me you know he wants me to buy have a 54 million dollar jet i I don't think that's biblical. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that later. But uh, so, would a fifty-two million dollars yet be biblical? Eh, maybe fifty. <laughs> maybe fifty. We'll see. But you know, and and yeah. going on with that, I think sometimes we we um, my opinion. Um, I think sometimes, you know, when people, you know, if there's a, a demon possessed person or if there's something going on in a person's life and they talk about they feel, um, you know, they can't shake it. There's just this presence there or or there's these habits or they feel this weight, this burden that they're carrying and it's just overwhelming them. And, you know, as a Pentecostal, we, you know, you know pray it through or pray them through or there's a terminology we use and. I understand that aspect, but I also think sometimes we think the longer we pray, the louder we pray is effective. But I think sometimes within that, we don't understand the authority God has given us. Yeah. Um, when I see Jesus or even post-Jesus, when I see the, the apostles or the disciples encounter things like this, it's a few words. 
Yeah. Paul says to this uh, uh, sorcerer or whatever, or uh, the lady yeah. uh, that was fought around, shut up. Enough's enough. Yeah. You know, I mean. Shut up was a word from God right there. Well, there you go. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like it. Shut up's a biblical thing. Um, you know, or Jesus, he sees a demon possessed person and says, get out. Yeah. Uh, we got to no, we got we got to have a deliverance service. We got to pray, you know, 30, 45 minutes and anoint them with oil. And I get some of those things and some symbolic, but Let me I ask think you what you think. Maybe I'm stepping on odd ground here, no, bad you're, ground. You're good. But when I've seen people praying for someone else, they pray for about five minutes and look at the person and say, how do you feel now? And the person basically says, uh, still, my back still hurts. Hold on. I keep praying. Like we're gonna, we're gonna say it more on uh, more enough to get it done. Yeah, maybe we haven't said it enough yet, but I've actually seen a guy pray for somebody else and then look at him in the face and say, "How do you feel? Just gone yet?" And then go back to praying. Yeah, they weren't healed yet. I didn't. I didn't know what to think of it. I just thought that's not what I see in my mind. But is is praying for somebody to get healed and it happening? Yeah, and I know. When, when people talk about that, they usually go to Jacob's wrestling with God, how um, Jacob refused to let go, and God eventually said, okay, okay, I'm going to bless you. And people say, you know, if you're persistent and, and you, you grab a hold of God and, and you say, God, I'm not letting go, and I think that's kind of the, the mentality of um, pray doesn't work. Well, keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, and and. So here's what I think about healing and there there come there will be a time in our life where we will die physically. Um there will be a point in our life where we will not be healed. We will just die because yeah. that's I think there's reason I think there's a reason why God heals at a specific time. Um is it God's will for all of us to be healed? Yes, is it for God's will? You don't believe that? Is it God's will for everybody to be healed? No, well, I, I don't. I don't agree with that. Well, here, well, here, well, <laughs> well, maybe I'll explain it like this. I believe it's God's will for everyone to be saved. Yes, in a sense, I believe every, God wants everyone to be with Him in relationship with Him and completely made whole. Yes, and we will be healed if you're looking at it. Ultimately, yes. Yes, and that that's kind of what I'm what I'm saying. Yeah. Is, okay. Um, I thought we disagreed on something. No, but but <laughs> you know, I talked to someone. You know, the blind man who. Um, I think it was 39 years or I don't remember. It was 30 something years, I yeah. believe. And, um, you know, Jesus asks, you know, what do you want? He says, I want to see. And so Jesus heals the man of blindness. And Jesus says it was for this purpose mm -hmm. that God will be glorified. Because there, you know, people are asking, you know, it's, it's because of his parents that he's born blind, or it's because of something he's done, he he's blind, or something. Yeah. And people are saying all this, and it goes into that Job thing. But I do believe God allows certain things to happen for His glory. Now we don't understand that. Mm -hmm. um, it's the man did nothing wrong. One, we're born in a sinful world, um, but there is a reason why he he was blind, and I believe it was that purpose. That guy will be glorified through that healing, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, so I think 
I think we have to be very careful when we, you know, when we use James and, and James tells us, um, is anyone sick among you? Call upon the elders of the church and pray. Um, there's a time where we won't be healed. There's a time where God allows the thorn in our flesh to remain. Now, of course, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh is, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So I think we have to be careful that we don't. Um, obviously, I do believe God does heal, but I also believe that we have to make sure we're in line with what God's direction is. Um, there's a purpose that God does certain things, certain ways. Um, you know, um, when people ask me questions or whenever I have conversations like that, then, you know, I bring up some of the weird things Ezekiel did. And they're like, well, that's, you know, I said, you know. That's Old Testament, Mark. You can't get back past that page. Yeah. You know, what, what <laughs> laid on his side for how long? Yeah. I mean, just, you know, we would think it's crazy now. And so I just think we have to be careful um, how we word things uh, again, because we can't we can't say God's going to heal everybody. God wants you to be healed. Um and then now, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to come up with the right lingo or words, but um, I guess you understand what I'm saying. I do. And uh, the reason I was kind of shaking my head there, like I thought you were going to say no, and you said yes. You're looking at it as an ultimate end. I'm looking at it as in a during this lifetime kind of thing. No, everybody's not supposed to be healed. If If so... If everybody was healed that walked in the church or when they got saved, then everybody would join the church. <laughs> and that's not in prophecy. That's not going to happen. All of mankind's not going to heaven. Right. So it's just not. Either way, uh, I had heard a, uh, we had a guest preacher come one time. I don't know if I'll come across it or not, but uh, I had a guest preacher come one time and speak at a church I was at, basically saying uh, this person was involved in hospice. So they said that cancer and things like that, sicknesses, diseases, were not from God. And I thought, yes, they are. Uh, going through Deuteronomy, let's see. I, I wish I could. my eyes would just fall on this right spot. <laughs> it's probably not going to happen, but well, it basically says if, if you'll take care of uh, what I'm telling you is laws and statutes and commandments, I'll take care of you. And if you don't, I'll bring all kind of disease on you. Yeah. That's one of the things he's he's telling Israel for breaking my laws. I'm going to make you sick. So yeah. that's not from God. Sometimes that's from God. But is there a thing? If cancer is a thing, is there something created that God didn't create? No. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know if it's in Isaiah or Jeremiah, but, you know, God talks about he's going to send, you know, a strong wind or, or um, devastation upon these people. And, you know, yeah. so God sends things. I mean, he brought war. Yeah. To Israel and Judah, both. So <laughs> he used the wicked nation to do his work. Yeah. And we would say, well, that's not God's will. That's not what God wants. Well, when we read the Bible, you know, it's important to get God's perspective. And sometimes um, we, we want God to be a certain way. Well, that's not, I mean, I wish God would send some people to hell and just say, you know, these people are jerks. Just go ahead and send them there. And get them out of my life. Yeah. I don't have to deal with them anymore. 
I don't want God. (laughs) I wish God would say, you know, um, it's okay. You don't have to forgive that person. They did you wrong or they did this or whatever. I'm like, okay, cool. But, you know, we have to remember we're not God. We don't have all the answers. But so we have to go to his his revelation and scripture and try to balance everything out. And if we can't take these few scriptures because and leave out this you can't yeah. say um god wouldn't bring disease upon the people yet you look at egypt and all the plagues he sent the people of egypt um because they refuse to let his people go yeah uh you know god just god is holy so no matter what he does he does it in a just way yeah so um i don't want to skip by without actually just look it up right quick deuteronomy twenty-eight twenty-two is the verse that I had in my mind. Uh, Where is it at? 22. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. It's not really good stuff there. (laughs) (laughs) That's encouraging. We'll just let you know. So if you got any of those things, I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> I got inflammation in my wrist, so don't feel too bad. Well, that's something so. also I think a lot is uh, if he had just taken away my asthma when I prayed for it to be taken care of, I wouldn't have been motivated to lose weight so I can breathe. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, there's a lot of different things. Uh, all the allergies I have against everything, they have motivated me motivated me to live in a different way. Hmm. A better way, a cleaner way. My health is better now because of things that I had to do and discipline myself because of sickness he gave me <laughs> that he wouldn't heal me from magically. Yeah. And I'm using that word loosely, but I mean, he wouldn't just take it away. So I just wake up the same as I was the night before, but now without sickness. No, it took it took a couple of years and a lot of effort to discipline myself. I think in the end, he has taught me more in discipline for my future. Yeah, through those sicknesses that I had to do something for, then if he just healed me and I would have a, I'd have a cool healing story. Right. But what would I be able to handle that he may be bringing towards me in the future that I haven't seen yet? I look at him that way. Yeah, I remember hearing a story of he was a famous uh, preacher and he had he had really bad asthma, and he said, you know, I prayed and prayed and prayed for God to heal me. Well, he woke up one day and his feet, he had a bunch of, I think, warts on his feet that hurt really bad. Yeah. He was healed of that. But not his asthma. No. And he, and he, <laughs> he joked and he said, ask, you know, ask God, did you get the wrong guy, <laughs> the wrong prayer? I mean, you know, and, you know, I think he was like 17 or 18 and God did not heal him of his asthma until he was like 40. And it was through a through a process, and he said the reason why, after he was healed and of his feet of his warts on his feet, you know he was like God, what's the deal? You know why didn't you heal me my asthma? He said I just want you to let you know I can do whatever I want. I fix your feet so you can go walk, <laughs> <laughs> exercise. So, well, there you go. So you know God has God just does what He wants, and you know He doesn't violate His word, and obviously He cares for us. He doesn't like to see us suffer. Yeah. But, you know, the point is, you know, we live in a sinful, fallen world. And we're going to get sick. 
Mm-hmm. We're going to face trouble. Um, sickness comes with aging sometimes. I mean, yeah. bad eyesight, bad hearing, heart problems, just because our bodies physically wear out. So, yeah. um, so we just, I think, you know, we just have to be careful, you know, when it, when it comes to healing and stuff like that. So, where, where did all this come from? I don't know. I was just wondering if we were talking about the church anymore. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> where this came from. But. Let's see. Uh, how long have we been talking? An hour and a half. You want to call that one? Uh, I I got a little bit. Just I mean, like just like a paragraph, really. Okay, I'm gonna let you close with that, and then uh, unless you have anything to say after my paragraph. Sure. Okay. I mean, so kind of wrapping things up. Really, I want to end this podcast really with, you know, as we kind of look back to Israel and kind of gave a. Um, Jesus's words of the church and the usage and the beginning of the church, uh, you know, what is the purpose of the church? Yeah. I'd simply put the purpose of the church is to do God's will on earth as it's carried out in heaven. Uh, the church cannot be defeated by mortal death. It is assembly of people with the same like mindedness that know Christ is the Messiah. So really, the Did purpose. Did you say people have like-mindedness? Yes. <laughs> that is the purpose of the church. Yes. Well, you know, it's the design. I, I, I was reading a book, and um, the guy was talking about you know God not answering prayers. Right. How do you deal with God not answering prayers? What do you say to someone who may have been a Christian and, and may have left their faith because they say God didn't answer my prayer? And the guy brought up an interesting thing I never thought of, and he says. God still has yet to answer one of Jesus's prayers. You that, mentioned this to me before. That they become one just as oh, yeah. you and I are one. Yeah. That hasn't been answered. One of Jesus's own prayers has yet to be answered. So, so if you haven't had a prayer an- that hasn't been answered, <laughs> be encouraged because Jesus has one that hasn't been answered too. So, um, anyway, any any thoughts about the purpose of the church or anything to close it out? Uh I guess to recap, just the main ideas that we just said is that God's uh, end plan is that the church exists in the, in a sense that he wants all mankind involved in it. Uh, purpose of the church, yes, is to do his will on earth. How does he do that? Some of this, what you just said, some of the stuff I was reading from Ezekiel uh, 16 and Jeremiah 31 is that he plans to actually come uh, himself and take care of sin so that we can be free of that issue so we can move on from there and do something. He's going to write his law on our heart. We haven't even gotten into the indwelling of the Spirit, which God's in plan for mankind is better than plan A, Adam in the garden, tossing the ball, having <laughs> right. fun, you know, just out in the, in the, in the breeze with the birds singing, etc. around him and God. Better than that is God plans in the end to live within us. That's God's God's uh, stepped up plan A is to actually live within us. So that's how he's going to do the things on earth through man is that he wants to will to do something and he doesn't have any hands or feet. He's a spirit living within us asking us to do it. So I guess that's why <laughs> ultimately Jesus's prayer hasn't been answered about unity because of disobedience. Yeah. Human disobedience. Uh and I've said this jokingly and seriously, though, that the whole issue with the church is that it's God's it's God's perfect design. That's Him living in us. 
and him making all of us one, not a bunch of individuals. But it also involves us. Yeah. That's the whole problem. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I mean, I th- I think I, when we when we read the, you know, if we get a, 10 people in a room and we all read the same passage, we might get different ideas. Of course, you know, there's a Baptist that'll say this ceased when this happened, which we'll discuss, or, or this happened, this, pre, you know, Presbyterian talk about the predestination and so forth. But. I th- I th- I think when I talk about my like-mindedness, I think if we all just kind of lay aside right. some preferences or things that don't matter all that much, I mean, yeah, the point not is Jesus one hundred one. The, the point is, God made us in His image. We screwed up. God sent His Son to fix everything. He died on the cross for our sins, and it's only through Him that we can be saved. And our mission, our our mission as a church, is to let people know he's the Christ, he's the Son of God, he's the Messiah, and he's the only way to fix our problem, and he's yeah. the only way to heaven. Everything else we can talk and discuss, but our like-mindedness is should be that mission is that Christ, Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, Christ yeah. redeemed. Thanks for listening to the Two Spies podcast. If you would like to join in on the conversation, go to numa.life and leave a comment. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Music, or whatever app you're listening on. For additional articles on faith and life, visit numa.life.